see you told everybody about the time that I, I spit water because there's nobody in the first rows here near me. So that's let's let everybody know. Get back. All right. Um, I really appreciated the words. In fact, it's one of the songs that's right here, I think, on the sheet about praise his name forevermore. You know, forevermore is a long time. But we have good reasons to be doing that. And I think what, what uh, the verses we're looking at today will sort of reflect that. Reasons that we have to praise him and reasons that we have to thank him for what we've done. Because when we recognize us and where we stand, we'll so much more appreciate him and what he's done and who he is. And um, I have, you know, when, 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 when I speak in this context, this is more me, and probably is the same for other people who speak. You learn more. I'm passing on something God has shown me. So it's an honor to be here, and, and I'm glad to have this opportunity, and I'm glad, and hopefully I can convey, communicate clearly what what uh, God has been teaching me, or part of that, not all thing, but at least part of that. And so the, the uh, topic is some key qualities of kingdom people. And uh, I'm going to read this or reflect on this more because I will forget what I'm talking about. If it starts with, uh, CJ sort of touched on this last week when he touched on the Beatitudes and uh, how we as kingdom people live think and live differently and how we share that, how we can share that with others so that we can better see the world. So kingdom people have different qualities. They see things in different ways because God has, has allowed that. God has shown them that. And so some of the uh, verses that in, in, uh, touch on this are the Beatitudes. We'll put those first up there. This is the Beatitudes. And I wanted to give a little introduction to this. this, Not because these words are unfamiliar, but sort of the context in which they're given. Matthew presents uh, Jesus as the king. And this is the first recorded sermon that Jesus gives. And the very beginning of it, he uh, goes through these topics or these, these statements, and he associates them with blessings. And these blessings are associated with being in his kingdom. These are consequences of being in the kingdom. And I don't want to talk about the consequences so much. I want to look over here at the first part of these, of these uh, statements of the qualities or key qualities of uh, people who are in God's kingdom. And I want to look at the first four, if you'll flip those up. Click. Okay, <laughs> right here. So we don't want to. My focus is not on the what happens as a result. Those are consequences. Uh, I, I don't think I don't think God gives blessings because we seek blessings. God gives blessings because these are blessings that come because we're a member of His kingdom. These are consequences of membership in God's kingdom. And uh, as in some contexts, we think of blessings as material things. But these are not material things. These are uh, things that meet our deep needs, not things that would meet our shallow needs. These are things that would go on uh, long, long beyond our earthly, our earthly life. And so we're, we're looking here, and I want to look at the very first 
section of these and say that they are important for us to understand for entrance into God's kingdom. And um, just to make it a little more interesting, okay? Please, please don't confuse simplified pictures with simplified ideas. Okay? This is my feeble attempt to try to communicate. I'm a visual person. It helps me to understand what I'm going through. And so we see in the Beatitudes here, poor in spirit, those who mourn, meek, hunger and thirst for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, persecuted for righteousness, and falsely reviled for his namesake. We see those. And I want to look at those. I want to look at those, uh, but I want to look at just the first four because I think those are critical. Uh, the first four are for entrance into God's kingdom. Uh, you will not see someone be merciful unless God is within them and working. You won't see peacemaking or purity of heart. You won't see those other things. Those follow entrance into God's kingdom and being a part of his, being a part of his family, a member of his household. Those are parts of those. And so the focus here is those aspects of uh, the Beatitudes. So we have the whole, the whole section, which is uh, qualities, key, qualities of uh, kingdom people. And I think these first four talk about how you become a kingdom person. And so that's where we're uh, looking, at, uh, looking at today. I want to look at these first four. Click. All right. And uh, I want to put these in something that we uh, can understand a little better. This, the reason I studied, I didn't start studying this last week after uh, CJ mentioned it. The attitudes you hear from when you're little, and they, they, I mean, I understand the words. I can read the words. But the idea, the ideas and these kinds of things didn't click in my mind. And so I, I started looking at this some number of months ago. I find it interesting that you gave the introduction to the verses last Sunday that I was going to be speaking on this Sunday. But I want to walk through these and put these in the context that help me uh, understand them better. I've read these uh, myself. I've read what other people have to say about them. I've pondered. I've meditated. I've prayed through these verses. And um, I think I have a little better perspective of them than I did previously. And so I want to share that. First, poor in spirit. Spiritually poor. That sounds, that sounds um, like uh, we haven't got very much. But if you understand our state from God's perspective, we don't have anything. We're not spiritually poor, like we just don't have much. We, we don't have anything. We have nothing to give. This is moral bankruptcy. Moral bankruptcy. And when you see verses like Paul uh, writes, where, or Isaiah, where it says, our righteousness is as filthy rags. We have, we have as, a, as a, not a member of his kingdom, nothing to give, nothing to offer that that uh, would make us rich spiritually in and of ourselves. The only richness that we have would come with what God gives us. And that now, uh, as a member of God's kingdom, he sees us through the blood of Christ. He looks at us and he sees Jesus. That's, that's where we have any richness. Okay? But we're talking entrance here. So we're spiritually poor. I, I think of this as morally bankrupt. Morally bankrupt. Bankrupt. They're, 
You have nothing left. They're coming to get your house and your car and everything. I mean, we think of it in a financial sense, but this is not in that context. This is morally bankrupt. And uh, the next one, mourn. This is, this is not mourning over something, you know, I kick my toe on the chair. I can't get my microphone to work right. It's, it's, it's not that kind of mourning. This is mourning. This is a sadness over that condition. This is a sadness over sin. The world that we live in, I'll say the world, the people that we are, this is, this is a sadness over that, the sadness over our moral bankruptcy. Um, obviously, uh, the Spirit of God can provide comfort when there's a loss, when there's a sadness, these kinds of things. That's, it's, that's not uh, unrelated, but that's not the, the sadness, the mourning that is speaking of here. Next, meekness. We think of, this is, this is one of the words that I don't know that we have a good context for in our society. Um, and I don't know that we see or I don't see enough of in my life of meekness. Uh, there are two folks that are spoken of as meek in Scripture. Who are they? Jesus is one. Moses is one. The meekest man. Okay. Now here you have a person who led a nation of millions of people. And Moses. And here you have the Son of God as a meek. Meek is not flabby, you know, mealy mouth. It's not, it's not the negative things. Weakness is power under God's control. It's submitted power. Power submitted to God. A horse with a rein in its mouth that's been trained would be meek because it is under the control of the uh, individual who is leading it, directing it. That's, that's what meekness speaks of here. So this is not a, this is not a, I do nothing, I just lay there and wait for something to happen. This is not that. And meek. Uh, nobody could accuse Moses or Jesus of, of those kinds of life, lifestyles. Next. And a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. I like the illustrations that are on the, the uh, left side. Yeah. But I, 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 didn't, I didn't put those up there because I think, uh, and, I, and I, when we hunger and thirst, when we think of hungering and thirsting, like I had a bowl of cereal for breakfast. You know, a little bit, I'll be hungry. You'll tell when I start moving a little faster. <clears throat> okay. But we, we talk about hunger and thirst. When we, our perspective on hungering and thirsting, relative to their perspective at that time, we have no clue. Okay. When, when we're hungry and thirsty, we can drive in to one of the innumerable fast food places or go to a restaurant or pull in and get that. You can order out of a spigot. Get it out of your house. We have, we have these things easily available. Maybe not exactly the flavor we want or the type we want, but we're not worried about dying from lack of hunger like they would have been at this time. Hunger and thirst are the deepest needs that we have, physical needs. And the comparison there is our deepest desire. When we have, when we're hungry, we can think of nothing else. When we're thirsty, we can think of nothing else. I mean, Jesus said, I thirst. He's on a cross. He hasn't had anything to drink for hours and been bleeding and all these other things going on. This is the, the illustrations on the left, I think, speak to it is your all-consuming preoccupation. It is what is on your mind more than anything else. 
That's, that's, I like the pictures that are up there in between the blue uh, markers there for that reason. But I think in the context of this, I think the idea here to the, to the uh, right is better because it talks about our, the reason for that hunger and thirst is a desire for a right relationship with God. To be made right before God. That, that's salvation. To be made right with God is, is salvation in this context. So, as I speak through here, we have poor, a moral bankruptcy, spiritual bankruptcy. We can't do it. We have a sadness over that that, that uh, is in our lives and in our hearts. We have a submission to God, and then we have a burning desire within us to be made right with Him. Those are the things that it speaks of in these first couple Beatitudes. And those, I think, provide entrance into God's kingdom. <clears throat> now, I want to um, shift from that over to where we see some of these qualities illustrated in Scripture. And I think we see these in two spots in particular with very contrasting people. Uh, and the first one is with the uh, tax collector and the Pharisee. And this is... Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man... The tax collector went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Just in that brief parable with those two individuals, and you hear their, you see their behavior, you see their, you hear their words. If you were, if you were there, you see those principles right there, the bringing justification. You see his recognition of his sinfulness his spiritual poverty, you see his deep sadness for that in the tax collector. You see a submissiveness. He's coming before God, and he is he's beating his breast. I want to be right with you. You see all of those things there. Contrast, you see the Pharisee. And this is where I think, uh, you know, I wouldn't go so far as to say, this is the sequence, one, two, three, four kind of thing. I, I, I wouldn't stretch this, this presentation to that degree, but I think the recognition of your sinfulness has to be the start. I mean, it has got to start there, and the desire to be right with God uh, has to be there. We might think, as you read this, gosh, um, you know, if I'm sinful and I recognize how sinful I am, gosh, I'm going to feel sad about that. Scripture doesn't support that idea. You don't. There are people, one of the verses says, and they glory in their shame. There are people who are proud of their sinfulness. They, they don't see it as sinful. They're, but there's pr- pride in that. There's pride in the bad things that they do. It gives them something to show off. I would imagine that you can look in the news or look on social media and you can read things. You're thinking, why in the world would you put that there? Why in the world would you say that about yourself? Why would, why would you provide pictures of that? Okay. 
therapy, the automatic I'm sinful and therefore I'm sad about that isn't doesn't that just doesn't come automatically. That's that's something that that I think God initiates, but that's something that just doesn't come automatically. Or submission uh, to God, uh, uh, bowing our wills to Him. I don't think that that comes even for even for believers. That's a challenge that we face ongoing, and a desire we. We, gosh, I want a right relationship with God that much. Enough. I want enough right relationship with God. But hunger and thirst for righteousness, it's a consuming thought. Our, our very mentality is to be right with God. That's the most important thing in our life at that point, which is only for the rest of our life. This is, this is how these verses are playing into But they don't automatically go one, two, three, four like that in every in every uh, situation. So the first uh, people here, the Pharisee and the tax collector, I think illustrate this. But you see, the Pharisee, he doesn't have a, a recognition of his sinfulness. You, you look up there, and uh, I, I'm, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. I'm, point, I'm not pointing any. I'm not picking anybody out. My, this was I always noted these verses more because my father works for the IRS. He is a tax collector. <clears throat> Okay, but it's it's a uh, it, it's a it's a we we it's a dangerous thing when we pick who we're better than, who we're more righteous than, because we who are we going to pick? We're going. I mean, you think the only two of them were in the temple that day? Okay, he's uh, okay. That one, I'm better than that one. I'm pretty sure that those guys over there, maybe that one. No, I'm not sure. But that one back there, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good. That's that's how we when we select who we're going to compare ourselves to. It's easy, and we will naturally pick somebody that we're better than, in our eyes at least. So he's done the same thing, and gosh, he's better. He's better than that tax collector that he's he pointed at or initiated, or maybe it's all in his heart and mind. He selected him. But those are, those are the people that he has picked, and he is totally righteous because he's better than him. Our, just a, a side note from that, if we do that, we should pick Jesus to compare ourselves to because that will reveal first what the standard is, but that will that'll, that'll give us a more accurate perspective of, of uh who we are and where we stand in God's eyes. So, the first, he's not sinful. There's pride. He has done it all. There, he lays out, I tithe, I do this, I do that. He's made everything straight. He's provided all this. Uh, he's provided all this uh, righteousness for himself. There's no need for righteousness from God because he hasn't done anything wrong. He's not sinful. So, we shift over next to a second set of people. And these are, the second set of people are in the parable of the prodigal son. And I'm going to summarize, this is a long set of verses. Most of you would be familiar with the story of the prodigal son. If not, the verses are up there in Luke 15. Uh, you have the son, he goes to his father. Two, father has two sons. Really, this is about two sons and a father. Okay. Because the prodigal son, I've always read this, where the prodigal son was the rotten one, 
and the and the, the older brother is is a good guy. You know, he's you know this is this is how I thought of this to begin with. We have the prodigal son. You have the son. The younger son goes to talk to the father. Says, "Hey, dad, since you're not dead, can you pretend like you're dead and give me my inheritance?" Which is in that context exactly what he was saying. I want my inheritance, and I'd like it now, and the fact that you're not dead, that's too bad. Then he takes the money, and he goes to a distant land where he can do whatever he wants. And so here you see him living it up. Pretty soon his money's gone, and a famine hits, and he's out with the pigs. And not only is he out with the pigs, he is uh, wanting to eat what they're eating. And I presume he's wanting it because he's tried, and he's not winning that battle. Okay. They're, they're, they want what they have too, okay. and, and they're better positioned to get it. And so he's out there and he's, he's not, he is starving. There's no thought of, gosh, I like clean clothes. His, he is that guy with the plate where his head was that we just saw. It is all-consuming thought. I want food and there is none. And this is when he reflects back on his father. And God gives this young man something that we should all pray for ourselves and for others. And it's on this next slide. It's the phrase in Luke 15, verse 17. When he came to himself. Um. When he awoke, this is not a drunken kind of thing, he was sleeping. When he realized where he was, what his condition was, what his situation was, this is, this is a tremendous blessing. God to give, I, I don't know who in here, I've had, I've had a few times, it's like, what in the world, I'm talking to myself, what in the world am I doing? What, what in the world am I here for? Not, not here on earth, but in this particular place. And it's like you step back from yourself and you're seeing your, your own life, your own situation, the condition that you have. That's what, when he came to himself, he realizes the sorry state that he's in and he remembers his, his earthly father, which he didn't have a relationship with other than by blood before. He had no relationship with before. And he remembers it's going to be better there even if I'm basically just a hired hand that works day, day labor. It's going to be better back there because he was, a merciful, he was a merciful man. So he goes back. Uh, actually, just in those, when that, right there, just like that, you see his thoughts go through his mind. Okay. How sinful he is. Next slide. He came to himself. How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I'm dying. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. You see him recognizing his spiritual Bankruptcy. He has nothing. In fact, he has basically told his father he wished he was dead. That's pretty, that's pretty no relationship. He's saddened by that. Now, it doesn't say he's crying, but he's saddened by that. 
He is willing, you see up there, just take me back as a hired servant. He's submitting himself. And he's wanting, he's getting up and going, he's wanting to reestablish that relationship or to establish that relationship to begin with. I presume that when he went to his father and said, Dad, I wish you were dead, the relationship was not real positive prior to that. Okay? He went to his father. You see him walk through all those steps, and his father takes him back, welcomes him, runs to meet him, blesses him, a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet. He's back in the household. He has given authority. He has given the best robe of honor in the entire home. That's what the father provided for him when he came when he came back. So we see this father and son whose whose relationship, the right relationship with his father, has been restored or created, initiated. It seems like this should be that's great. This would be the end of the story. Everybody would be happy about this, but not, that's not the case. Everybody is not happy about this. Next slide. So, they start the celebration, the celebration of the restoration, of the creation of this relationship, this positive relationship, and the older son returns. He's not pleased that this whole thing has happened. He knew what the son was off doing, and he was probably not sad to see him go. Okay? <clears throat> so, he comes back. He throws up all the arguments you know what he did? You know what this younger son did? You know what I've been doing? I've, been, I've done everything you've asked. This is where, if you read a little deeper there, he basically sees himself as a slave in his own home. He's, he doesn't have a relationship with his father either. He's in a distant field. It's not until he gets closer to the house that, that uh, he hears the sound music and the dancing, the celebration for all the people that have been invited by the Father to the home to celebrate. I've served you. I never disobeyed a command. One of the things that comes across in there powerfully is not only have I done everything right, you, Dad, Father, should ask forgiveness for me for the way that you have acted. It's not just I've done everything right. You've done things right. He's, he's a screw-up. Okay. You should be asking me for forgiveness because of the how you have brought shame on our family. What you have done, the behavior you have exhibited. <clears throat> and there's not an excuse. There's not an excuse. The older son doesn't recognize his sinfulness. He doesn't have a relationship with the father. He doesn't see uh, that he's done anything wrong. Uh, this is a... Uh, this parable is intended to focus on the father and his response to these two sons. And uh, we'll look at that in just a minute. But these two sons are on opposite ends of a continuum. Both of them lack a right relationship with their father. Next slide. Here we see the father's response to the younger son welcomes him. He comes. He has, he has uh, recognized his sinfulness, he is saddened by that, he has humbled himself, submitted himself to the Father, and he's returned to establish that right relationship. <clears throat> the older son doesn't see that he's done anything wrong. He is proud of his uh, obedience to his father, and he, he doesn't see any reason that he needs to submit any further, and 
that there be uh, any, any need for him to establish that relationship. In fact, he's angry. That would sort of short, short circuit that kind of desire for relationship right there. Next slide. One, one more. These are the two, the two ends of the spectrum. We have the younger son. Make sure we have the younger son. We have the older son. Uh, neither of them have relationship with the father. And I think these are meant to show the, the continuum. These are the two endpoints. There's a whole span of places that we can be out of relationship with God, all the way in between. Okay? Some, some of us, we go out and indulge our pleasures, and we, we are away from God in that way. Others, we, we, are, we, we don't want to endure the social criticism. We don't want to endure how we might be talked about. We, so we're going to act good. We're going to act like we're supposed, quote, supposed to act to get honor or respect. Um, for me, I was probably more on that end. But this is a continuum. Here we have the extremes on one end, the extreme on the other. Both of them are lost. Both of them don't have a relationship with the Father. <clears throat> the Father, as we saw, offers right relationship. He came outside the party to beg, to entreat, to beg the older son to come in. Come into relationship. Come into the celebration, and he refused. <clears throat> so, I, I find it, if you see the two extremes and God has mercy and desires relationship with both of them, that gives hope for everybody that's in between. No matter where you are in that continuum, God, God, has, God, God desires relationship and wants, wants you to be in it. <clears throat> So we see these two sets of people. We see their responses, the tax collector and the Pharisee in the temple. We see the older and the younger son. Uh, you see these qualities exhibited by these individuals of uh, the people who are justified or brought to salvation or right relationship, showing that moral bankruptcy, that sadness over that, that submission and that desire for a hunger and thirst for righteousness, right relationship with God. So how does this apply now and to us, to me? Um, people are in one of three groups. This is we're indulging our pleasures out of relationship with God. We are trying to look good and, and be in our own self-righteousness, but we're not in relationship with God or we're in relationship with God. And from God's perspective, that's the only... Now, you might not be a one end or the other, you may be somewhere in, but that's the only three places that God sees us, us be. Um, one of the problems with little pictures is thinking that the posture that these folks are in makes a big deal. Okay, like I have to kneel in a certain way or I have to hold my hands like this. Okay, this is, these are these are. I have to have a bottle and little bubbles out here. That's okay. These are these are symbols. We, these are attitudes of the heart. These are where we are in our spirit that are revealing these things. But for I would presume in a church setting, most of us would be down here in the bottom. So all the stuff that I've said theoretically might sound irrelevant. Okay, I've already passed that point. You know, I'm done. Okay. 
I don't need to, need to go further with that. But I would suggest that these verses are not something that ends when we enter into a relationship with God. These are things that carry on, on for the rest of our life. Only forever while we're on this earth. Okay. Um, in Scripture, in Second Corinthians three seventeen and eighteen, um, Paul writes about beholding the glory of the Lord and being transferred into the same image. Okay, our our life once we have relationship initiated with God, our life is to become more Christ-like over time. And that Christ-likeness is fostered by a recognition of those Beatitudes, recognizing our continued sinfulness, still being saddened by that, submitting to God continuously, and trying to foster a deeper relationship with Him. We, we read this. Next slide. We read this in Romans. I'll just write down these verses, the, the verse heading. Do you hear Paul struggling? He's a Christian. He wrote, I don't know, half the New Testament? Two-thirds, a half? A lot? Okay, a lot of it. Okay. And here he is, he's talking about, I don't do what I want. I struggle with sin. I, I know the good thing, but I do the evil thing. All these things, after he's a Christian, he's writing epistles that we study. Would you want to follow somebody that talks like this? I want to follow them. Yeah, I got my ex straight. I don't have any of those problems anymore, right? That's not reality. This is where, uh, this is somebody who recognizes his, his continual fight with sin. He recognizes that he has to be, uh, he has to be constantly warring against his flesh. He's saddened by that and motivated to address that. Those, those are the attitudes, those are the things that come from the Beatitudes that we are, uh, have a continual operation in our lives. <clears throat> Wretched man, the last verses here. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is from that song at the beginning. Praise his name forevermore. Okay. Um, this is, uh, I, I think, I don't know that we consciously think this. You know, we would write it down on a piece of paper. God saved me, but sort of I have to continue from here. Okay. I mean, he did a great job. He forgave me up to point, point A, but after that I have to do better. Okay. It doesn't take long looking at your life to know that Better will look different. Your life after that will look different. But you'll still be fighting with things. And as you come to know God and know His character, you'll be fighting with different things, and those things will bother you more. So I'm not doing this, this stuff, maybe. I'm doing different stuff. Okay? I'm, I'm still fighting with that. And because I understand God better, now that I'm in relationship with Him and I have the Spirit of God in my life, I'm bothered more by even smaller things that I wouldn't even have thought about before. I'm bothered more by that than I was this horrible thing in the world's eyes. We still are fighting that battle. Here, Paul, he probably um, just wrote a bunch of things to encourage Christians in the prior chapter. And in the next chapter, he's going to write some more. And in between, he talks about how wretched he is and how he fights with his flesh and his sinful nature. 
But he has praise for God and thanksgiving for God because of, for Jesus because of what he's done on his behalf. And that God sees him not as he is, but he sees him as Jesus through the lens of Jesus. So out of these three groups, two are out of relationship with God in one direction or the other. One is in relationship. Um, there is a next next slide. This is this is the real question. It's not just for now. This is a question to ask God to talk to you about uh, personally, not in here. Okay, ask Him where you are. And uh, it may be you you are you can you know that's great. Okay, but. Ask him where you are. Ask him to confirm where you are, to, to make that feel real if it doesn't. But that last group of uh, where you are is, is there's a, really a fourth group, and it's the I don't knows. That's, that's the most dangerous group. That's the most dangerous place you can be out of the three. Okay? Either, either I don't think that there are three groups, or I don't know which one I'm in. And people can linger there for a long, long time. One of my good friends from college went to church his whole life. He finally became a Christian after he was college, probably in his mid-20s. He, he didn't have time to become a Christian because he was singing in the choir so much. I mean, it was, it was it's like here he's been doing this, and God he revealed to him his lack of relationship. That's, that, is, that is a tremendous blessing god provides is giving you eyes to see where you truly are and i pray that for all people and myself as well um i wanted to today look at the beatitudes and look at them from the first couple from the perspective of these are qualities key qualities not the only qualities are key qualities for uh christians for christians to have and to appreciate that we are uh, morally bankrupt, that we are uh, are saddened by that, that we submit to God, uh, and submit our desires and our will to God, and that we hunger and thirst, that we desperately desire relationship to begin with or deeper relationship with Him. And that's something that happens for someone who's not a Christian at one step, but it does not end there. It continues on for the rest of our life here on earth. Um, and uh, that was what I was trying to communicate. And I want to leave you with the thought that uh, besides that summary, I put these really cool bookmarks out there. Okay. And, uh, but I would, I would ask you to, I would ask 50 of you because that's all I made. And I would ask 50 of you, well, we can print some more, but to, if, if, just pick one up, just as a reminder God, where am I in this? Am, where am I? Where am I? Am I not, not where I'm in these categories, just, but am I, not, am I saddened by my sin? Do I recognize my sinfulness and the struggle? Maybe I'm not struggling at all. Hey, I'm pretty good. You know, am I submitting myself to you, to God? Ask, ask Him. He'll tell you. you. You're not worshiping a God that's up there. He, if he's, he's there in you, if you are in relationship with him and he's right next to you, if, if he's not in your life right now, he's there and available to hear from you and to speak to you.
You can trust that if you ask Him. Uh, but also pray uh, that that uh, He speaks. You know, he might give you just a, a glimpse of what your situation, what your condition is, in good or bad, so that it's real and you know that you know that it's from Him. So um, let me let me uh, close and. Uh, Father God, we we just um, thank you for all that you have done on our behalf. And we praise you for your willingness uh, and desire to do so out of your deep love for us. We thank you that you uh, have any desire for relationship with us. We bring nothing to it. It's just a desire that you have for, for, for relationship and fellowship with us. Uh, we thank you that um, you work in our lives. We thank you that you can reveal uh, our situation, our condition. And we pray that uh, whether we uh, are out of a relationship with you or we are in relationship with you, that you will give us a, a deep sense of our spiritual bankruptcy, the need that we have, the sinfulness that we have, that you'll give us a deep sadness for that, that it will bother us, that it will encourage us to uh, address that. That uh, you will uh, help us uh, bow our will and submit to you in our, in our lives and that we will have a desperate desire for uh, right relationship and, a, and or deeper relationship with you. We thank you that you can do this. We thank you that you can work within us. We thank you for your spirit that speaks to us individually. And we just pray for that uh, in, in these days uh, and weeks ahead, that you, will, that you will confirm and speak to us and the place that we are and the condition that we are. We just praise you for that and thank you for that, Lord Jesus. We just lift these uh, prayers up to you and pray for your hand in our lives. Amen.